when you're having a conversation, how present are you? Are you thinking about something else when the other person's speaking? Or are you really deep listening? Are you trying to control where the conversation goes? Or are you allowing it to go where it needs to go for the greatest good for everyone? Today's guest is Sam Leibovitz, and he is known as the Conscious Consultant. He also helps people who are bringing messages out into the world to have presence on their podcast. Join us to find out more. Before we start this episode, I, Carrie Hummingbird, and I, Akeem Sami, want you to know that you are invited. You're invited to, to join Soul Nectar Tribe. If you like what you hear on Soul Nectar Show, you will love being in person with us in Soul Nectar Tribe. We invite you to check it out. First 30 days is free. Right now, go to carryhummingbird.com, K-E-R-R-I, hummingbird.com, forward slash membership, and sign up. We'll, we'll see you at our, our next tribe, tribe gathering. gathering. And now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Nectar Show, that show where we talk about all things essence, where we gather around the campfire and we share our stories of connection to that which is greater than us, to the great mystery beyond the veil, to those synchronistic moments that lead us inexorably to a deeper understanding of ourselves and this cosmos we're in and this planet Earth and all these human beings that we are surrounded by all the time. And we get to decide, wow, what does this all mean anyway? And isn't it cool to discover these deeper levels of meaning. I'm your host, Carrie Hummingbird, and I love having these conversations week after week because they always expand me and deepen my understanding of myself and the world that I'm living in. And I love hearing people's stories of awakening and what they're doing with it, what they chose to, how they chose to make meaning from their own lives and their own stories. And today we're going to be having a really interesting conversation with a good friend of mine about presence. What is presence? Can we bring presence into our lives, not only for ourselves, but what happens when we bring presence into conversations with other people? How does that change the way the conversation goes? You know, when we're more present in the moment with that conversation and with that person. And this is especially important, I feel, for anyone that's sharing your voice, like myself, you know, sharing my voice out here on the podcast and doing my best to connect with you listeners and really feeling you beyond this gap, you know, because there's this big gap between me and you, because although I'm speaking and you're listening, but I don't get to listen to you because we're not having the conversation. We're having the conversation in front of you. And it's a weird feeling, right? Like, where are you? Where are you? I want to connect with you. And so I'm always in this inquiry of how can I do that? How can I connect with the person who's got this interview in their earbuds, you, your heart, your mind, your body, your beingness. I like, I want to just look you in the face and have a conversation with you. And, but this is what we have right now. We have these podcasts. We have this uh, ability to share conversations with people and a lot of people participating in the conversation all at once, all around the world, globally. And yet, don't we want to gather? Don't we want to really connect? How can we do that? These are questions I really hope Sam has answers to because I just set up a really big ask in this interview. So welcome, Sam Leibovitz. Well, thank you so much, Carrie. Thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Well, I love having conversations. Now, I do have conversations with Sam one-on-one, -on -one, you know, through yes. the Evolutionary Business Council. And so we, we do connect in that way. And we know what that feels like to be present with each other, even in person, because we've been in person together, too. Yes, we have. We've been in person together and we've shared Zoom rooms together and we've shared conversations together. And so Sam, if you haven't remembering Sam, because Sam's come on the show before, he is nope, known. First time. You haven't? I thought I interviewed you before. Dang, nope, I'm always forgetful. My first time. Oh, goodness sakes. 
Well, in this case, you should know all about Sam because I've been keeping my secret in my back pocket. Sam is the conscious consultant. He's a facilitator, mentor, speaker, healer, and a serial entrepreneur, as so many of us are. And he is the host of the Conscious Consultant Hour. And he also has a best-selling book that I did share out called Everyday Awakening. And he actually helps podcasters. He helps messengers, you know, as well as part of his passion work, helps messengers like me to have a podcast and to get your voice out and have the conversations that you want to have with the people that you want to have those conversations with and share it out for other people to enjoy, just like we're doing here. So very exciting so much we could talk about. And I know that I I set up this big conversation, right? Because since I have you on the show, Sam, yeah. <laughs> I'll See, go ahead. I've had you on my show. I've been on your we show. we realized, oh, you've never been on Soul Nectar. Oh, we've got to rectify that. That's right. I was like, that's show. true. I was looking back and I was like, I can't believe I haven't interviewed Sam. I mean, I've known Sam. Sam is one of these people that that has a lot of answers and he's just super grounded and really friendly, like a nice guy and like really awesome. But like, you're like, what happened to Sam? <laughs> like the, elevate Sam while he's elevating all of us. So I know you have a lot to say about this topic because you're invested in this business of sharing our voices and having conversations and letting those conversations change the planet. How do we include this connection? Because what's missing is this gathering around the fireplace. So I, I want you to just put that in your little back pocket and consider that while you tell us, how did you get started in this? I mean, what was your reason for starting these conversations in the first place and starting a whole podcasting network? Yeah, well, you know, I, I actually didn't found talkradio.nyc. I actually bought it from somebody 12 and a half years ago. And People always ask me, oh, Sam, did you have a background in, in broadcast? Did you always want to have your own radio show, things like that? And I'm like, mm, not really. I mean, I'm just an entrepreneur. Like you said, I've had a lot of different businesses. But when I used to introduce myself, I always used to say, well, I've been an entrepreneur since 1993, because that's when I left my full-time position at a nonprofit and became a computer consultant. But Recently, I was thinking back, and actually, that's not true. I've actually been an entrepreneur much longer because when I was a little kid, first, like in uh, elementary school, junior high school, I didn't get much allowance compared to my friends in the neighborhood. So I used to look to do things to make some extra money. So one summer, I helped a friend deliver dry cleaning and get tips when his brother was away. And then another friend of mine came to me and said, hey, Sam, you want to make some more money? in the fall, in the winter. I'm like, yeah, sure. He goes, look, I did this with my brother. He's not available. Why don't you come help me with this? I'm okay. Do what? And he's like, Saturday nights when the newspaper trucks come around, we'll buy a bundle of papers off the newspaper truck. And then we take that bundle and we go around to the bars and we sell them. Now at the time, now keep in mind, this is a long time ago. I'm going to date myself, but the Sunday papers used to be like a quarter. And so we would buy a bundle off the truck. And then I lived in a very Irish Italian neighborhood. So the bars were like the local hangout. So then we would take them and we'd sell them for, for 50 cents at the bars. And then people would give us tips because we do it in the, in the fall and the winter when it's cold and nasty. And then you go into the bar and it's nice and warm. People are drinking. So they'd buy the papers from us and sometimes give us, you know, an extra quarter or an extra dollar. You know, one time the the bartenders even bought the papers from us, give us two or three or four or five bucks as a tip. And it was great. And I remember one night, my best night as a kid, you know, I made 50 bucks in like an hour and a half, two it's hours. It's like amazing as a kid. It's like, oh. Incredible, especially at that time. And then I'd be able to take the money and I'd use it to buy like an extra toy or something that I couldn't afford or whatever. But, you know, when I got back home, I realized that that feeling of like, oh, it feels so good was very temporary and very fleeting. Because when I got home, I realized how alone I felt. Now, I'm not an only child. I have an older brother and older sister, but my older brother's eight years older than me. My older sister's four years older than me. My older brother, I mean, what, what 16 year old wants to hang out with an eight year old younger brother, right? It was just too much of an age difference. And I didn't really have too many friends around in the neighborhood because I went to this private Jewish school and was I took a bus to get there and there was really no one local. And so I was really very lonely as a kid. I really felt like I didn't fit in. I don't, I don't know if any of our listeners ever felt that way, but like you don't fit in in your own family. It's kind of a quiet kid. 
And I was the third of three kids. And so by the time my parents got to me, I was like, you know, they were too busy. My mom was working as a teacher. My dad was a statistician. He had not much to do with this. And I remember there was this black baby grand piano that used to sit in our dining room. And as a little kid, I could sneak in underneath it. There was a little cabinet next to it. And I just hide in the little corner. And I could just sit there for hours. And like no one would even notice that I wasn't around. And that really was what I was looking for. I was just looking to see if anyone would notice, like, hey, where'd Sam go? And it would take a really long time. And so that that feeling of, like, nobody wants me, no one's interested in me, I, I don't feel I belong in my own family, really got me to always look for community in other places. And, of course, you look for it in all the wrong places. And, you know, I did it, did it as a kid. I did it in high school, after high school. And, and you end up sort of accepting people as friends who really don't treat you that well. And I've had people take advantage of me my whole life. I had friends who took advantage of my kindness and generosity. I had business partners who do, you know, really took advantage of me. I've had people stole from me and it got so bad. Like I, I kept repeating this over and over and over again. Until finally, things got really bad. I got into involved in real estate in New York City, and I got involved with this broker who was supposed to help me to like get through this project. He was going to mentor me. I'd never done development. This was during the heyday of like 2006, 2005, 2006. And then, you know what happened? 2007, 2008, the bubble burst. This guy disappeared overnight. I was left holding the bag. I put all, not just my money, I'd raised money. I'd put family money into this project. And literally overnight, the, all the value vanished. I kept struggling for a while to make something happen, but eventually I had to just give it up. I had to sell the property at a loss. I lost everything. I mean, literally everything I put into it and realized after that, I ain't doing this again. And I'm not allowing myself to get involved with people. You know, I don't, I don't swim with the sharks. It's not me. Real estate's not for me, but I'm not doing this again. Then a funny thing happened. I was at a party at a friend's apartment in Chelsea. And this, a mutual friend brings this guy and says, Sam, you got to talk to my friend. I'm like, okay. I'm like, I'm Sam. Hi. And I'm like, don't know anything about this guy. I'm like, so what do you do? He's like, oh, I'm an acupuncturist. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. I know a lot of healers. It's very into spiritual stuff. I know a lot of healers. I don't know too many acupuncturists. And in his next breath, he goes, but I've decided to become a Buddhist monk and I'm selling off all my worldly goods. I'm like, whoa, that's kind of different. I was like, well, have you sold your business yet? And he goes, no, not yet, but I'm working on it. And I was like, well, maybe I can help you. I'm talking a little bit more. And he says, oh, yeah, and I started this internet radio station last year. Like, wait a minute. Sounds a little familiar. Acupuncturist radio station. I'm like, what's your name? And he goes, Giorgio Rapetti. I'm like, I know who you are because my friend Larry does a radio show on your network and he's told me about you, but he's never connected us. And now there the guy is standing in front of me. So we meet up a week later and we're talking about this and that. And I'm like, okay, look, if I'm going to help you sell your business, I need to know the good, the bad, the ugly. And I just thought, you know, I'll make a little bit of a commission of helping him sell his business. But by the end of the meeting, I kind of jokingly say to him, well, this is such a good deal. It's like getting two businesses for the price of one. I'm like, if I can't help you sell your business, I'll just buy it myself. And we both kind of laugh because I'm not an acupuncturist. I don't know anything about acupuncture. Radio station, that got me really interested. So I go home that night and I talk to my wife. I tell her all about the meeting and the business and I could help him sell it, make some money, this and that. She looks at me, stone cold, deadpan, no emotion. She just says, ah. Forget helping him to sell the business. Like, what? Really? And I was kind of crestfallen because I really wanted to help this guy. He was a nice guy. And I thought, oh, I can make some money this way. She's like, yeah. She goes, we may not have much money left after the real estate debacle, but we may as well put what little bit of money we have left into a business that's actually making money. Let's just buy it ourselves. Oh, oh, yeah. What a great idea. Let's do that. And so... I ended up buying the station and and the and his acupuncture practice, turned it into a general wellness center, brought in other practitioners, really focused on the radio station. Started my own show, The Conscious Consultant Hour. There were just, you know, two or three shows at the time. 
built it up. We've been running now for over 12 and a half years. And what I've found is by doing my own show, by being authentic, by bringing on interesting people, the people suddenly started listening to me. That instead of having to go out and chase after community and chase after people to validate me and acknowledge me, when I just shared my authentic voice, people started listening to me. They started saying, wow, like Sam's kind of cool. And some of the amazing things that's happened because of that is in 2016, I got to do a TEDx talk. I was the only speaker who didn't have a speaker's reel. But what I said to the organizer, when I met him, I was like, I've got a bunch of interviews I could send you for my radio show. I'd been doing my show about six years at that time. Gave, sent him the best of my interviews. He loved them. He's like, oh, you're wonderful. Come on. Uh, we'd love to have you as a speaker. I'm like, oh my God, like doing a TEDx talk. I'd like been wanting to get on the TEDx TED stage for years ever since I saw my first TED talk, which was Tony Robbins doing his TEDx talk, TED talk at the time. And then continue that forward. I keep building up, building up, building up. And then I came out with my book, Everyday Awakening, that you mentioned before in November of 2020, number one bestseller in three different categories, Amazon. A lot because of people in the EBC, but a lot because of my listeners. They bought it, they shared it, they bought copies for their friends. I was flabbergasted. I couldn't believe it. And now it, it's just, I'm, you know, I'm really taken aback when I stop and think about how for so long I was looking for my tribe. I was trying to find them in all the wrong places. But when I stopped looking for my tribe and I just started to share my voice authentically, my tribe found me. And that's why I say like everyone needs to let their voice be heard because the world is waiting for you to share your truth, to share your genius, to share your perspective. And sometimes we may feel like, I don't have anything new to say. I don't have anything original. But it's not even what you say. It's how you say it. You know this better than anyone, Carrie, right? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting because the interview that just came out last week was talking about this phenomenon that's happened in the last several generations of people no longer singing, but listening to singers. It's like this sort of stadium watching or armchair quarterbacking instead yeah. of like having this singing the song yourself or, you know, in this case, having the conversation. But I think that maybe those of us that are motivated to have the conversations, we open this door to make it okay to have these conversations. And then people are empowered by that to maybe have that conversation at home or maybe share the episode out, right? With some, because they know right. that conversation has stuff they wish the other person would know. And then it's like a way to kind of share that. It's a way of opening the conversation because mm -hmm. maybe the person doesn't quite feel safe enough to actually start the conversation. But if somebody else is talking about it and they share it with their partner or a family member, say, oh, listen to this. And then let me know what you think. And then the person listens to it and they go, oh, well, that was kind of interesting. And then it can open the conversation and go, oh, well, what did you think about this? And what did you think about that? And now the dialogue can begin, not because of what you've said, but because of what this person heard on this podcast or radio show. Yeah, it's like putting the messenger as an intermediary in the relationship. Right. Because some of these conversations, they are hard to have, aren't they? And sometimes also we have a hard time finding the words to express how we feel. But if we hear someone else say it, that maybe has found the words, you know, I, I feel like some of us have different skills in different areas, right? Of course. I mean, I believe that all of us can have the conversations. I just will flat out say that. And I do know that I've been told by people that I'm, they find that I'm able to put words to things that they had a hard time putting words to. But when they hear me say it, they go, oh my gosh, that's exactly the thing. Right. Because of however I, it came through. And so that's something that we can do as messengers, right? Is to put the conversation right. out there for people. And it's not even always about the words, right? Going back to what you mentioned before about presence in the conversation. Sometimes it's just about the way we show up. It's the listening. It's the way we give our attention to the other person. You see, when you were really present with someone, we notice things. We notice not just what they're saying, 
how they're saying it. How do they look? We notice where they pause and then we take it in. And then when we're really present to all of that, and it gives us information. And then all we even have to do is reflect it back to the other person and they think we're reading their mind. You know, oh, you seem a little nervous there. Is something wrong? How did you know something? I'm nervous. Just being present with people gives us such tremendous information about what's going on in the interaction. But many times we're too distracted. We're thinking about what we're going to say next. Oh, we're worried about something that happened yesterday or what's going to happen later today. And so our mind is elsewhere, but we're not being right here, right now, in this moment where everything is happening. Oh, you're being, this is really profound, actually, what you just said. So I'm going to take a slice at it, is that one of the things that I had to learn how to do in my own life before I became, and even through the process of becoming a messenger and having interviews, right, taught me a lot about this, was to release attachment to the outcome, like of a conversation. So earlier in my life, when I was very attached to the outcome of the conversation, what would happen is that I would come in really wanting the other person to agree with me, to come in and say, oh, well, this is how we should be doing it. Perfect example, you know, I started energy medicine training in 2013, and I started learning about the shamans in Peru and how you could heal yourself. And then my dad promptly came down with leukemia, like this rare form of leukemia. And I was like, dad, you can heal that. Grandma just died of that. So there's clearly an ancestral pattern. Like we can clear this right now. You just let me. And my dad was like, that's really, I don't know what that is. I'm going to go to the cancer center and in Houston and work with the experts. And I'm going to take this whole path. And so we had this time where we couldn't talk actually for about a month and a half, which is, you know, you could imagine my dad's feeling the lack of support because his daughter's not talking to him. And I just didn't know how, because I felt like he was disrespecting my, my wisdom and what I knew and what I was learning about. And he wasn't listening to me. And I was really attached to him, like agreeing with me. And what happened was through some spiritual work with one of my mentors, I stopped and listened in the silence to myself about what I was actually doing. She took us to the mall to find God. And I didn't really think God was in the mall, but <laughs> I ended up, she said, just follow God wherever God tells you to sit and just be in the mall and just listen. And I, what I saw myself doing was was watching people walk by and saying, that person really could use energy medicine. Oh my God, that person's clearly sad. They could use energy medicine. Oh, this couple is fighting. They could use energy medicine. I was looking at everybody and thinking everybody needed what I had found. And I realized I was doing that to my dad. Yep, yep. And I feel some emotion coming up now because it was a really big lesson. It was really huge lesson. And so that night after the spiritual exercise at the mall, I drove to my parents' house unexpected. I walked in and I just sat with them. And my dad started telling me how he was feeling about his, you know, encountering death and and all the planning he was doing with my mom and and all the stress of it and and just telling me what his life was like. And I sat and listened. I didn't say anything. And about 15, 20 minutes or 30 minutes in, he looks at me and he says, I am noticing that you're not saying anything. I said, I'm listening. And he said, thank you. <laughs> because you're a powerful leader, Carrie. But this is my life. And in my life, I need you to follow. And it was such a huge lesson, Sam, about listening yeah. and presence. Exactly. Because when we're really present, we can feel the other person. But if we're too busy talking, are we really being present to what they're saying? And you know, I'm a big believer in that old, old, old expression. We have two ears and one mouth, so we should be listening twice as much as we're speaking. Of course, for us people who are used to being in front of the microphone, having our own show, that's a little bit of a challenge. But when we're with other people, to be present with them and allow them to express. And being present doesn't even mean we have to say a thing. They can feel it from just how we are being, from our energy, from the intensity of how we listen to them. And sometimes that is the most healing thing that a person needs is to be heard. We all want to be heard. But if everyone's talking, who's listening? Yeah. And there's also that 
the inner work to be present with another person, right? Like the work I had to do was some shadow work. I had to sit and face and see who I was being around my dad and really the whole world because I was convinced that everybody could fix everything with energy medicine. And I was like, stop going to that Western doctor. You know, I was so anti about everything that didn't work for me and so confident and sure that this would work for everybody that I was working for me. I wasn't willing to accept that there could be more than one pathway for a person to heal and that that their pathway was their own path and their own journey. And even if eventually they came around, which my dad did eventually come around to do acupuncture and he let me do a healing on my grandmother and he let me like remove that energy. And that leukemia never really did, you know, it didn't affect him. It just lay dormant after this healing with my grandmother's energy. So interestingly enough, right? But but that took a while and it took me not needing it to happen and right. not forcing it, right? And I right. think that we get so defensive because maybe we have some stuff around it. Maybe we feel disrespected if somebody doesn't agree with us or maybe we feel not heard or not seen or not believed. Or but you see, it all, thing is. it all comes back to what you said before, which is it all comes down to the stories we make it about the thing. See, it's never about the thing. It's never about what the person does or says or doesn't do or doesn't say. It's all about the story we make up around all of that because it's all a story. And the beautiful thing about that is we can always change the story. But first, we have to be aware of what the story is we keep telling ourselves because we were always telling ourselves something around it. And most of the time when things aren't working well, it's because the story we have is something based on a meaning that we create. If, if they don't listen to me, it means I'm not right. If I'm not right, then I'm not good. And if I'm not good, I'm not worthy of anything. And then the ego gets involved and there's just all these machinations and programs start showing up. But if we can just stop and listen, listen to the story that we tell ourselves and just ask, well, is that really true? So what if it is true? I can make up a different story around it. I'm a big believer that, you know what? It, the stories don't even have to be true. If they're empowering us, if they're helping us, they're good stories. And if they're not, they're not really serving us. So why keep repeating them to ourselves? Yeah, and it's this ability to look in the mirror, the willingness to look in the mirror at ourselves. That starts with that. It starts with not, this isn't like victim shaming, okay? This isn't like, oh, it's all your fault and you're just creating all this for yourself. <laughs> it's not that. It's more like, I don't think of it more like a sleuth or like a detective. The detective's looking for the clues to see what is leading from one thing to the other thing. So if we become the detective of our own stories and if we become the detective of our relationships, we can learn so much. And the thing that detectives do is ask questions. They ask right. a lot of questions. Right, right, exactly. I mean, to me, it's all about just learning. It's about a never ending PhD in life where we're <laughs> learning about ourselves. And by learning about ourselves, we learn about others. And really when you meet somebody who seems to really understand people so well, it's only because they understand themselves so well. So I don't look at any of it like, you know, there's something wrong with this and we need to be fixed. Not at all. It's more like we're just this beautiful plant that just needs, is growing and unfolding and blooming season after season. And every bloom is a little different than the prior one. And each one is an opportunity for us to blossom and grow and learn more. And it's a beautiful thing. And yeah, we experience heartbreak, but heartbreak isn't a bad thing. It's just a thing. It's only a bad thing because of the bad story we make around the heartbreak. But when we just drop the stories and drop the judgment that this is good and this is bad and this is good and this is bad, and just look at it and say, okay, it's a thing. It's life. Let's just be present to life and what's going on in life and say, okay, well, 
this feels good. It doesn't feel good. I don't got to make a story around it just because it doesn't feel good. I got, I'm just getting over this sore throat. I mentioned to you before the show. I don't need to make a story about the sore throat. I don't need to make it like there's something wrong with me or I'm not taking care of myself. No, it's been a really long time since I've been sick. And it'll probably be a long time again before I'm sick again. And it's just something that happens and my body telling me to rest a bit. So great. I take a break and I rest. I don't need to make a story around it. It's just an opportunity. And I think if we can shift our perspectives from looking at everything as a challenge or an issue or a problem I need to do something about and really just say, well, it's just an opportunity for me to learn more. And as long as we have that attitude of like, there's always something more to learn and there's juicy stuff in there and that the more we learn and the more we uncover, it's so rich and so deep. It makes life so full of flavor that it makes life worth living. Yeah. And that's the nectar. I mean, that I talk about soul nectar. I mean, that's the nectar. That's my intention of creating this show was to have deep conversations like this. Because one of the things that I found challenging in life, because I have a Scorpio moon, so I'm all depth, right? Like I'm all, and I'm like all cultural, the collective and I'm the collective unconscious. And, you know, I'm like in the deep water, like I can't help but be there. And that what really bothered me in my life is like so few people wanted to have deep conversation. Most people just kind of, you know, especially at the time of my mom at the time was like, the only safe conversation for me to have with her was the weather. You know, this is the weather well, and this is what we're having for dinner. You know? Was it so few people were willing to have the deep conversations or was it just the people you wanted to have the deep conversations and maybe didn't want to have them with you? But maybe there were other people that maybe you didn't care so much about it, but you could have deep conversations with them. That is a really good question. And I would say I've met more people that like deep conversations since I started this podcast. So yes. My mom and I knew that if we tried to have anytime we tried to have anything deeper than the weather or, you know, what was for dinner, we would run up against this conflict, right? This like defensive, defensive posturing or some other thing. We wouldn't agree. We'd have different perspective and it would get uncomfortable and icky. And then it was like, oh, this isn't fun. This isn't flowing. Right. But, but why does it have <laughs> to be uncomfortable? Because to, you have a different perspective from someone else. And one of my biggest concerns these days is that there's such division and such polarity in society, but we keep making the other person wrong for believing in what they believe in. And it's like, okay, I mean, I see you see things differently. I can't see it that way, but it doesn't mean we can't be friends. It doesn't mean we have to go our separate ways. We need to find more reasons to come together. We need to find more things that we have in common and you, and build on that. And I just feel like people are so stuck in like, oh no, it's got to be this way or it's got to be that way that they lose sight of the fact that we're dealing with a whole bunch of challenges in the world and the world is changing faster than ever before. And that rate of change is only speeding up. It's not slowing down. So how are we going to get through this? We get through this with community. We get through this by coming together. And look, if your friends believe some crazy theories about stuff, so what? Yeah, I agree with you because I used to have that feeling quite a bit, you know, where it was hard to have conversations with people where sort of the expectation was that we would agree with each other. You know, there was like this mandate. And if you couldn't, I remember that was a big thing in my first marriage. You know, if we, if we wanted to agree on everything before bed. And it's like, well, I might not be able to do that, you know, because I don't agree with this particular thing. And then one of the things I realized in myself with that needing or wanting, I guess not wanting the, conf the conflict, right? Like not enjoying the conflict of not agreeing, right? Or coming from the same perspectives. Like when we come from different perspectives, there's like this instant energy of conflict, but we can look at that. And I used to look at this. It's very bad. Like I was like, well, conflict is bad. So we want to create peace. We don't want conflict. So we got to bypass the conflict to get to peace. And what I realized through the, this last decade or so of personal spiritual work is, wait a second, the conflict is not bad. The conflict is actually inherent in our human design because we are all created uniquely 
And so the conflict is actually creates an energy that we can move through together to each learn something new if we're See, open we can, to that. But we can even make the conflict fun. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a bad thing I, when we see re- it for what it is. I remember years and years ago, I came out to visit a friend of mine in California who had lived in New Jersey back when I was in college. And we went to see another friend of ours down in Laguna Beach at the time, who's also from Jersey. And the three of us get together, we're having lunch. And I don't remember even what the topic was. It wasn't politics, it was something else. But we start arguing about something. And the third friend, he stops in the middle of it. He goes, oh my God, I miss my East Coast friends. I haven't had a good argument like this in years. It's cathartic. Yeah, because- you know, it's it can be a fun thing to argue your point and to banter back and forth. And, you know, if you don't take yourself and people too seriously. Yes. And if so you feel secure enough in yourself, right? Because underneath right. the fear of conflict is actually extreme insecurity. And I think this is what fuels a lot of this need of conformity. This, uh, you, you conform with me and I can be your friend. And if you don't conform with me, then I, you know, you're out. That's what creates this, is this deep insecurity that there's not one right answer. What do you mean there's not one right answer? Maybe there's 8 billion right answers. Right. You know, so how do you operate when you're just one of 8 billion people? Well, that takes some humility, doesn't it? (laughs) And, And the funny thing is the things we believe in 10 years ago, we might not even believe in anymore. And 10 years from now, we could believe something totally different as well. So if we can hold very loosely what we believe or what we think is right, or even just having to be right. If we just hold that very loosely, we may find like we may even be disagreeing with ourselves from another point in time. Oh, so, so we, totally true now for me. So, yes, absolutely. So, so if we can disagree with ourselves at different points, and then what's the big deal about other people having a different point of view of things? And it's like, I think it's re-identifying self. Like you are not your opinions. Right. <laughs> you are a self independent of all opinion. And so is everybody else. And if we come from the self that's independent of all opinion, well, now those opinions are just kind of like a candy bar or a piece of broccoli. (laughs) It's like, which one do you want? The candy bar or the broccoli? I mean, you don't have to agree about or create wars over that, right? But we have created such importance over certain things that people cannot be challenged on those things. I had a recent conversation, I think you'll appreciate, ancestral guided to this coffee shop that I like to go to. And I was guided there on a, on a day where I was like, hey, I'm, I've got a lot of stuff going on. I don't think I have time for this today. And I got the message go. And I was like, okay, I know not to ignore these things now. <laughs> so I went to the coffee shop and I sat and I said, where am I sitting? <laughs> they told me, go to the counter. So I sit at the counter, I sit next to this African-American woman. And in about 30 seconds, I realized that she's writing a sermon. So she's Christian. She's writing this sermon. She's going to get up there. She's a leader in the community. And I'm like, uh-oh. So I, I pretend like I'm busy. <laughs> Look, I don't want to have this conversation. And she interrupts me. She actually comes to me with the conversation. And she asked me, she was I don't know, writing some piece. It was some character in the Bible and saying, what should she say, would or could? And I was like, well, if you want to sound really certain, you could put would. But if you want to be honest, you could say could, might, or may, because you don't know this person. You haven't met this person in person alive. And so you're just, you're conjecturing what this person may have said or might say now. Well, that kicked off, as you can imagine, an entire conversation during which we realized that she is all about Jesus and only Jesus and has shoved her ancestors out the door. They don't matter anymore. I don't talk to them because they're beyond the veil. So that is complete. I only talk to Jesus and I'm like being guided by my ancestors every day. So we got to this point in the conversation where I said, you know, I really respect and honor your path and you've found your path and I love that you found it. You found your way to love. So it worked for you. That's great. That's the whole point, right? Find your way to love works for you. And she was, you know, feeling really good about that. And I said, and I honor the indigenous people that found their path to love through their practices. And I honor the Hindu people that found their path to love through their practices. And I honor the, (laughs) now she's shaking her head. No, because in her worldview, there's only one correct path and that's Jesus, period. And I had this moment of like, 
I could feel the hook of that argument wanting to tempt me into mm. engagement with it. Mm. And I thought, no. In her bubble, the whole world in her bubble conforms to Jesus as the one path. That doesn't mean that that leaks over into my bubble. <laughs> my bubble allows all paths to be honored. So I was found a way within myself to let her be exactly who she was, even though she was trying to put that belief system over onto me. And I could just let her have it fully while I'm having my belief fully, like they could coexist at the same time. Right. You don't, neither of you have to put your beliefs on the other person. Right. But see, there's that part that there is the community that wants to put, especially I live in the South, wants to put their belief system on every person on the planet. And I don't have any problem with people having their own beliefs. It's more when they try to put it on everybody else on the planet that I start getting like uncomfortable. So this was my little way I realized that I could not be hooked into that argument. I could just go, well, okay, that's your view. That's your worldview. Cool. You're welcome to it. Right. Because <laughs> the other thing it. too is, you know, we don't know what it's like to be that other person. We don't know what it's like to live inside their skin. We don't know what experiences they've had that formed whatever the way they're being today. And so when I remember that, it helps me to be more compassionate to people. Because oftentimes we think we know what's right or what's best for someone else. And the truth is half the time we don't even know what's right or best for ourselves. And so when we can just stop and stop assuming we know what somebody else's life is like, because we don't, and just have some more compassion for them, by showing the other person that compassion, that softens everything. Yeah, and that was what I was doing the whole time is opening my heart and breathing. Because I could notice that in myself, that hook I was talking about, like I wanted to protect myself. But when I realized there was nothing to protect, it's like everything inside of her bubble has nothing to do with me. It's her perspective or her life. I could relax and go, oh, okay. She's just telling me what she thinks is going on. Right. And and the the same thing is communicating. It's everything in your bubble is about you. Right. You know, we have this tendency to project things onto other people and then we make it about them when really it's all just about us. It's again, comes back to the stories that we're telling ourselves. And if we stop telling ourselves the story that we have to convince this other person to agree with us, then we can all take a breath and relax and just enjoy the moment. Yeah, enjoy the moment and enjoy how these, what I think are highly designed differences in perspective actually bring us forth into new realizations if we can relax and just feel and be present with and listen to those perspectives. And here's the thing, when we show up with compassion, the person is more likely to listen to not just what we say, but how we're being. And then it creates a dichotomy in their mind of like, oh, well, this person doesn't believe the way I do, but they seem like such a nice, good person. Like, how can that be? And then that (laughs) gets them to start to question things. So for me, it's always, it's always about seeking to understand, not to be understood, Mm. seeking to be more compassionate, more kind, more gentle with other people. First of all, because I want that more myself. And I just want to, I'm treating people the way I want to be treated. And the more I do that, the more I find people are like, oh, gee, Sam's really interesting. Nice. What does he think about this? But if I'm out there trying to push my opinions and push my attitudes and like, oh, everything should be like this and everything should be like that. And people like, no, like stay away. You know, the the defense shields come up right away and they don't hear anything. Unless they agree with it. And then they're all over it. (laughs) Yes. Yes, of course. Which is kind of like the Joe Rogan thing and all this, you know, that we see going on out there, you know. So, I mean, if you agree with that, you're all over it. You're like, this guy's saying, he's saying the truth and, you know, and everyone's into it, right? Whoever the the speaker is. Yeah, but we're talking about something different here. What we're talking about is really coming from that more place of omniscience, from that place of less attachment. And 
making space for everybody, you know, to have their perspectives. And that's a different conversation. And I would say, I mean, my addition to that would be if we always make compassion sort of first and foremost, then the other things kind of fall by the wayside. And when we come from compassion, again, it makes it a little bit easier to be more present with people. And then again, we can seek to understand instead of to be understood. Yes. And some conversations are harder to do that with. And that's just our exercising of that compassion muscle for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes having those difficult conversations come down to not necessarily participating in the conversation, but just being present and listening and allow the other person the space to say what they need to say. And then maybe once they've said it and they felt like you've heard it, not about that we agree with them or not, but just we heard them, then everything can soften a little bit. Yeah, and I like that. I like reflecting back to people their own words. It's something I learned from mm-hmm. some mentors of mine, uh, George yeah. Kansas and Tracy Trottenberg, where they talk about what I heard you say was. Yes. And then saying some key phrases that the person said in their own words. Because that's so important to have your own words, not somebody's filter on your words, but like, what you actually said. And then did I get that right? Did I miss anything? Exactly. Yeah. So if I understand you, you said X, Y, and Z. Is that right? Person will appreciate that every time. Yeah. And then just letting it be, you know, not then diving in and say, well, here's where you're wrong. (laughs) We don't want to pick up the dust some more, you know, but this is how, and I, I think it's true. Like, a lot of times we try to have a conversation about something or share our perspective to somebody who's not really open for it. So even asking, and this is another thing too, asking, are you open for a reflection? Right. Are you open to hear my perspective? Because if they're not, there's no point in speaking it. Right. Like that old Chinese proverb of the student who climbed mountains searching for this one sage and days and days traveled and finally found the master and it's like, oh, master, I've been searching for you forever. And And he starts talking and goes, oh, would you, master says, would you like a cup of tea? And he's like, oh, sure. So the master starts pouring some tea for him. And the students, this guy just keeps talking and talking and talking and telling him all the things he learned and did and traveled. And then the master just keeps pouring the tea. And all of a sudden the tea's spilling over the cup. And the student's like, master, master, why are you still pouring the tea? Stop the tea. It's overflowing. And he said, yes, just like When a mind is so full, you cannot add anything to it. Because when we're so full and we think we know everything, there's no room to learn anything new. So are we going to be a full cup or are we going to be an empty cup? I like being an empty cup because I learn something new every day that way. Yeah, the empty, the hollow bone, the empty cup, so much to learn about life. And uh, that comes when, for me, the more we're closer to our essence and a little distance from our personality (laughs) that really likes to have their opinions. So beautiful, beautiful conversation. And I know that you teach a lot of this when you help people to become good interviewers and to have a successful podcast, right? I mean, because this is important as a messenger for those of you who are interested in becoming messengers, like this art of mastering the conversation and mastering listening and asking good questions. This is all part of the process of having a good podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why, like when people join my network and my station, I really work with them. I give them advice. We do meetings every month to go over like what their shows were like, what challenges they have, you know, what that could they do to improve. And so I really work to sort of mentor people. I don't, I don't like calling myself a coach. I'm more of a mentor, but I do it in my webinars and my classes. But really my main focus is, is on the network and the hosts that join me on the network. So, um, yeah, it's when people come to talkradio.nyc and and it's so diverse. I mean, we don't really have one set topic on the network. It's all kinds of things, everything from business to spirituality to society and culture, health and wellness. I mean, we really run the gamut. But the key is the shows are about either uplifting, educating or empowering people in some way. So I stay away from divisive stuff. I stay away from things that I feel are, are just won't bring people together. Not that I'm against controversy. Controversy is okay because sometimes we need to have the conversation, but it's more about after someone listens to one of the shows on the network, 
Do they feel like they've learned something? Do they feel like they're inspired to do something more? Do they feel like they've been educated about something so they can make better choices or better decisions? As long as it's one of those, I'm happy. And, and we produce some pretty good shows on the network, I have to say. Yeah, beautiful. Gorgeous. Uh, light working you're doing there, bringing us all together. So beautiful. So I'm going to be putting um, links in the show notes to the Talk Radio NYC and also to Sam's Conscious Consultant Hour and any other links that you're going to give me. Is there anything that you particularly want to offer to the audience for getting started with uh, working with you? Um, I do have a free assessment. Well, it's not normally free. It, it's actually usually uh, <laughs> over $250, but I have an assessment. So if there's anyone who's interested, who thinks they might want to do a podcast and they want to know, are they ready? And, and do they have all the components in place? I do have this assessment. It's relatively new. It's an in-depth assessment. And I'll give that to you, but it's a really simple link. It's called, uh, it's at podcastyourpassionformula.com. And uh, I'll send you the link to that. But if you just go to www.podcastyourpassionformula.com, it'll take you right to the assessment. And this way you, your audience can see like how ready are they if they're thinking of starting a podcast or if they're doing one, do they have all the support they need? Do they have all the components in place? So I find that a lot of people get so much value out of the assessment because it gives them an opportunity to see like maybe where they're weak on certain things or strong in other things. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. Love it. I'll put that link in the show notes, everyone. And I'm just going to invite you guys to share this out. So just like I always do every week, share this conversation out with anyone that you think could benefit from it. Or maybe you want to have some of these conversations with someone and you would love them to hear some of these tidbits and you think, oh, I'll just go listen to this with that person. However, you want to use it and then give us some feedback. So put your own voice in, give us some comments. We're on YouTube, you know, we're on iTunes, we're all these places that you can leave some comments. So leave us some comments. What did you get from the episode? What did you hear? What What are you applying in your life? And definitely check out this uh, free assessment for those of you who are like, I want to be a messenger. I want to have my podcast. Check it out. Sam's a great guy. He's very helpful. And we're going to give kisses now. Would you like to help me give kisses to everybody, Sam? Sure, sure. Okay. Here they come, everybody. Mm. Mm -hmm. Many blessings to you guys, and we'll see you next week on Soul Nectar Show. Have a great week, everyone. Bye for now. If you found even one gold nugget in this episode of Soul Nectar Show, will you do us a favor? Will you subscribe, like, and share this episode? Maybe even write a comment and let us know what you thought about it. We really, really want to engage with you at a much deeper level. Let's be part of community together. Have a great week, everyone. Bye for now. To dive in deeper to nourishing conversation, visit soulnectar.show. Yeah.